So 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to continue our series as we read from verse 11. And this is God's word. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man... For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, please do keep your Bibles open with me as we try to work our way through this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 through to 25. And we're not going to be able to deal with every verse individually. You'll be glad to hear this morning, but we're going to look at two verses in particular and then how that sets by Peter, the, the, the sort of the motto for this uh, section, and then everything flows from that. And our title for today is Changing Lurgan for the Lord. Changing Lurgan for the Lord. How do we do that? How do we change Lurgan for the Lord? In the midst of our busy lives, in the midst of our hectic lives, is this just something else that we're going to have to bear the burden of? How do we balance that? How do we live a life that pleases the Lord, that also tries to reach our town, but it isn't a burden? In the midst of our lives and all the things that we have to do, and here's just some of the things that may be on our list this week, if you have children, maybe they need to go to swimming or to music, to football, horse riding, rugby, or hockey. We need emails that have to be sent. There's bills that need to be paid. The MOT needs booked in. There's that fence that needs painting, the hedge that needs cut, the room that needs painted, the clothes that need cleared out. We have to attend a prayer meeting. There's sick relatives that we have to visit. There's outreach that needs done. There's a talk that needs prepared. There's that friend that has to be met, that family birthday that we need to go to. There's the shopping needs done, the wedding present that needs dropped around, the car that needs to go to the mechanic, and that film in the cinema that you really want to see. And perhaps for some of us this morning, that was a reminder for some of the things that we have to do this week. And you're thinking, I need to write that down. 
our lives are busy. We live in a busy world, and yet we have different seasons of life, but in the midst of this, it's amazing that we can even function. We're trying to keep our heads above water. So in the midst of all this stuff that we need to do, the last thing that we need is whenever we come to church for the minister or the preacher to lay another burden upon us. And this morning as we look at this, hopefully we will see that what Peter is saying to this church is, is that in Turkey here, where they're placed, if they want to change it for the Lord, and they should be changing it for the Lord, this isn't a burden for them. This isn't something else that they're going to have to add on their to-do list, but this should flow out of their relationship with Jesus, out of a genuine relationship with the Lord. And we're going to look at how that works out for us in verses 11 and 12. You see, if we're honest this morning in the midst of our busy lives, in the midst of all that is happening to us, we come along here, and we come along and we love to meet with God's people. But if we're true, many of us, many of us here this morning, our relationship with Jesus has long grown, grown cold. We have not known the beauty of God speaking to us through His Word in our own quiet times because we just haven't set time aside for that. And our relationship with the Lord isn't really in a good place. And we dread the thought of someone asking us this morning, how's your walk with the Lord? Or we dread the thought of someone asking us, what, what, what did you read this morning? What did you read last night? What did you read this week in the Bible? So we come along and we recognize that we have failures, but we want to see Jesus here and the freedom this morning that he brings to us in this passage. We want to be people that live as Christians, free in this world. We want to live good lives for Him. We want to live as righteous people for Him. And yet it's hard for us. Just as we thought about with the boys and girls, it's hard for them to stand out and to be different in their society. So too it is hard for us. We bind ourselves or we let others bind us and we don't speak for Jesus. We don't live the way that God has called us to. And this morning what we want to do is we want to pull away all the clutter that we have piled into our lives. We want to get right back to the basics here of how a church should live, how God's people should live for Him. Well, how do we do that? Well, here Peter's going to lay out through the power of the Holy Spirit a strategy for us. And it's a strategy that's going to change the society, the workplace, the home, and the church. Well, what is the strategy it's simply this, verse 11, I urge you, dearly beloved or dear friends, he's speaking to the church, as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And our first point is this, we have a different identity. We have a different identity. We have thought about that a little bit in the weeks that have gone before us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that God has given us this new identity. We are Israel from the Old Testament. We are the church, God's people. And we looked at last Sunday night how he restored our identity from the Garden of Eden as prophet and priest and as king. So we have a different identity. I know going through, through school that perhaps you pick up a nickname all right? You might pick up a nickname going through school. In our school, we had lots of different boys with different nicknames, and it can be hard to shrug a nickname off. One fella is called Skinny. Okay? Everybody asks why was he called Skinny. It's just because he was really, really skinny. His real name's Andrew, but if you were to ask somebody what's his real name, they wouldn't know. Another fella was called Toby. We had an Eggie, and we had a Pegs. 
Okay, why they got them nicknames, I do not know. But if you were to ask, who is that person? Who, what is their real name? We could hardly tell you. And whenever you start to pick up an identity, it sticks with you, doesn't it? If you have a nickname from school, perhaps some people still use it for you here today. People know you only as that person. And it can be hard to shrug an identity. Well, here, what is happening to us? God sent us. Once you were this people, once you had this identity, but now you are this type of people. You have a new identity. You have new thoughts. You have new ways to live. So live like that. He, he, he hits this note throughout the book. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 1, we see it there. Remember, we thought about it. God's elect, strangers, or the exiles, God's exiles in this world. Again, in chapter 1 and verse 14, this new identity, we are a child of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, he tells us that we are a chosen people. You see, he's hitting it again and again to this church. You are a different people. God has taken you, and he has transformed you. You are a new creation. Therefore, we act differently. And the point is simple. The world into which we are born is no longer our home. One day, we will go and sing praises and praise his name forevermore. This place is no longer where we want to build up treasure. What God has done is effectively he's taken our passport that said that we were born of this world, and he has shredded it. And he's given us a brand new passport, a brand new passport that says our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we will one day go home to. So we don't belong here. Our bodies groan. The spirit inside of us groans for that. The whole world and creation groans for it because we find this place strange. And how do we know that we find this place strange? All that we have to do is to think about death for one moment. Death is something that we were never meant to experience. The pain of losing the loved one, we were never made to experience that. This world is a strange place. And yet, in the midst of us finding it strange, the world finds us equally strange as Christians, doesn't it? We see it more and more. We look unreasonable. We look like we are disrespectful. We look unloving, uncaring. We are relics of a bygone age. We are aggressive and a repressive people is what the media tries to tell us. And we are a people characterized by what we are against instead of what we are for. You see, Peter here writes this church, and in the power of the Spirit, he wants to tell them how to live their lives that will change this area of Turkey, that will transform it. Well, how will it be transformed? It's twofold in verses 11 and 12. And the first is that we got to abstain from these sinful desires. He's saying, if this is true, if you're a Christian, if chapter 1 in that section, verse 13, you see it there in verse 15, be holy as I am holy, if that's really true, then we should be doing that. We should be living a life that is pure, trying to live a life that is pure. And then in the midst of that, whenever we do that, whenever we abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against our soul, people will see us as this alien, or as this stranger, as this exile. And whenever people look at us and think of us as different, and not as one of them, or they look at us as being odd, or speak to us differently, or think of us differently, they think of us as being weird and on the outside, then that is okay for us as a church. That is okay. And in fact, it's what God has designed for us to be, that we would be different. 
So how do we change Lurgan? We change Lurgan firstly by dealing with our own sinful desires. Deal with our own sin. You see, the sin that we harbor in our hearts not only limits us individually, but limits us as a church. We think of the Old Testament, and Rico Tice opened this up for us at the General Assembly this year, about how harboring sin in our own lives affects all God's people in the gathering. So we deal with this. Christian people here are meant to be pure and open. They're meant to live a life of freedom. It's meant to be transparent and clean. There's no secrets or skeletons. It's a what you see is what you get. And remember, this is the corporate church. This is all of us as believers, not as individuals, but as all of us. So there's a corporate sense to it. He's saying that as brothers and sisters, we go to battle together. You don't have to do this alone. If you're going to try and fight your sin alone, it's going to be extremely difficult. But you have brothers and sisters. So brother that is struggling this morning with a sin, go to a wise trusted brother here in the church and ask him to go to battle with you against your sin. Ask him to pray with you. And brother, if someone comes to you and asks you to do that, be trustworthy. Don't tell other people about it, but help your brother. And sister, it's not a failure to go to another sister and to ask her to pray for you through this difficult time. You see, this, this isn't something that's light. Look at the language that Peter uses. He says, this, this sin, this sinful desires, they wage war against your soul. And we know that, don't we? The pull of sin is so strong. And the want to be selfish and to do our own thing is so, so strong inside of us. And we want to honor the Lord, but yet we want to do our sin. And we're in the midst of a war. And the enemy wants to see us as brothers and sisters destroyed this morning. And if we're coming along to church and we're worshiping our God and King and we're singing our praises and we're sitting with the young ones down the front and they're making us laugh and with smiles on our faces and we're wanting to see them equipped and growing up into the church and they're, they're out learning a big breakfast club and that brings us joy and as we come along to church in the evening and everybody mentions us about Hill Street, about this place, and we see the young people, a body of young people that sit in the middle as we see them growing and we want to encourage them, do you think the enemy enjoys that? The enemy wants to see this place totally destroyed. He wants to see you totally destroyed. Brothers and sisters, he wants to see the marriage torn apart. He wants to see marriages torn apart because of abuse or gambling, or lust, or selfishness. Elders this morning, he wants to see you disagree. He wants to see you let your personality get in the way of one another. He wants to see this place falling apart. Friends, he wants our ignorance and our arrogance to make this place cold for visitors. He wants the laziness to set into our vision that we rest on our success and our heritage, and that we are not burdened by the people that live around us. Because we see this church full on a Sunday morning doesn't mean that we sit back, but we go forward in the battle. And this is tough. So as a church, we abstain from our sinful desires, lest they should ruin us this morning. We flee it. We kill it. And we do that by helping one another. 
helping one another, trusting one another, praying with one another. What about the little ones? Asking them, how are you getting on in school? How is it? Is it tough to be a Christian? Can I pray for you in that? Coming along to a little one that's in school and saying, keep going, I'm praying for you. Keep going in the battle, I know it's tough. What about one another? How's it going in the workplace? Keep going. Keep battling against sin. So the call here is to be different. Kill your sin, church. Kill it, each one of us. Help one another with it. Don't judge one another, but help one another. And then secondly, what is the second part of this twofold tactic, this strategy that Peter has for changing Turkey, kill our sin internally, know that we've got a different identity, and then verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What we have here is we need to have different actions. We need to have different actions than everybody else around us. We can spot people by the way we act, can't we? We know a Balamina man in Northern Ireland. Why? Because he doesn't want to spend too much money. Isn't that true? We know that they're from Balamina automatically. I know a fella from Balamina, and this is no word of a lie. He carries a, a tea bag in his wallet so that whenever he goes places, he can ask for hot water. All right? We know, we know certain people by the way that they act. All right? We know a farmer, a well-off farmer, because he pleads poverty. Okay? We just know that he's doing well. We know an American tourist, maybe, by the way they dress. We know a person from Portadown, a Lurgan man will say, because you just know that they're from, from Portadown. And a Portadown man will say that, well, we know a Lurgan person because whenever they're grumpy, they've got a face that looks like a spade. How that works out, how that works, I do not know, but apparently that's how it is. But we can tell people by their actions, can't we? We say it all the time of children. That person is exactly like their mom or like their dad. They walk like their mom, they walk like their dad, they talk like their family. We know them by their actions. So Peter here says, children, be known by your actions. That you have been known as children of the Father in heaven. That people will recognize that you are not of the prince of the power of this world, but that you are of God by the way that you walk, by the way that you talk, by everything that you do, that you're so characterized by Jesus that they'll see him and that they'll give glory to God. And even in the midst of this, they're still, it tells us in verse 12, they're still going to throw stuff at us. They're going to accuse us of doing wrong. But let our actions speak louder than that. Let our words speak louder than that. What is Peter drawing on here? He's drawn exactly from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's true, isn't it? We know people. We know dear saints. I can think of people in my life growing up through the Church of Cash. dear old saints that seem to be just that wee bit closer to God. There's a touch of God's glory around them. We know people by their actions. And it doesn't mean this morning that we have to live squeaky clean lives. We will make mistakes. This place as a church family is also a hospital for us. We mess up. We're wounded. We make mistakes. But we're here to help one another. So Peter takes this logic. Live holy lives internally. 
be a different identity, have different actions, and then he flows it through the rest. Verse 13, right the way through, we see it there. His strategy is this, live differently in society, submit yourselves to the authority of the land, show respect to them. Then in the workplace, verse 18 through 25, endure tough conditions, respect your master. Then in the home, which we're not going to look at today, but in the next section, three verses 1 through to 7, and then in the church, 8 to 12, kill sin, know that you're of a different identity, and let your actions and your words speak for the Lord. And why do we do all this? As we close this morning, why do we do it? Well, it's because we have a different Savior. We have a different Savior. You see, the world looks to many other things for Savior. It'll look to themselves. It'll look to their money, to their power, to their heritage, to their name. We don't look to any of them things this morning. We look to a different Savior. Because Peter here is a realist. He knows it's going to be tough. He doesn't want to burden people, so he says, this is how we go to war. This is how we change our town. This is how we change Turkey. This is how we change Lurgan for the Lord. And in the midst of that, then he brings this beautiful picture of Jesus. The final verses in our section, the one who committed no sin. You see, here's the one who committed no sin but yet he suffered. And the one who was innocent, and yet he was insulted. And the one who came to rescue, and he did not retaliate. And the Savior of his people who would suffer for us, he bore our sins on his body, on the cross. This passage tells us it. Substitutionary atonement. Sacrificial atonement for us. And then we hear that he shed his blood in Calvary. He went to war with death, and he rose victorious from it so that we could kill our sin today. And then verse 24, by his wounds, we have been healed. Every sin that we have committed, every time we have turned our heart against God, every time we've ran back to darkness to feast on our sin, Christ has paid for it this morning. Christian brother and sister, do not let the enemy burden you with the guilt of sin Bring it before Jesus and have it done with and dealt with at the foot of the cross this morning. So Peter says to these people, you're worrying about your life, how you've acted, how you've messed up. Bring it all to him this morning. When we've chosen to do wrong instead of good, when we've reached for our old identity instead of our new one, whenever we've rebelled, whenever we've not shown people the proper respect, whenever we have not loved the church, Christ stands this morning and he says, come back to me. Look at verse 25. Peter says, for you were like sheep and you were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This morning, this is us in the week that's went ahead or went behind us. We were like sheep. And we needed this passage this morning and I needed it for my life that I would hear this that I am not of the world, although I start to embrace the world and I start to love the world, that is not my home. I need to move away from that and come over here. I need to kill the things of sin. And you know what? I might need a brother or a sister to come along and to help me to kill them. And I let my actions speak. My words speak for Jesus. And as we go out into this world, the people will see that that's a son or a daughter of the Father in heaven. 
and they'll give glory to him and not to us, but to him, so that we would point people in Lurgan to Jesus Christ. So what is our strategy? What is our strategy? Kill sin as a church. Be a holy people. Love the Lord. Sing his praises. Love one another. And then go out and do good in this world. Not that by doing good it will save anyone, but by doing good that they will see Jesus Christ and that, we, he, that they will see that we have a changed heart and a changed life. So we go this morning as servants of God, verse 16, and with this we close. Live as free men. Christ has freed us from sin. Kill it. Go live as free men. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up from evil, but live as servants of God. Go out this week. Go out as a church. Let us go and serve our Father in heaven, and let us proclaim that we have a different Savior than this world looks to. Let us pray. Father in heaven, often we forget who we are. And Father, we forget that you have given us this new identity, this identity that we didn't deserve. You've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. You've called us and put us under mercy, which once we did not have. A chosen people, a royal people, a priesthood. And Father, our, our hearts are full of of the times that we've messed up. And Father, we're sorry for it. We're sorry for the past week whenever we've walked away from you. Father, whenever we have went back to that old identity, whenever we've walked in that way. Father, whenever we've given in to the sinful desire. Father, whenever we haven't done good in your name. And we ask that this day that you would take us Father, seal us, seal our identity in you, that we would know that we are sons and daughters of the living King. And Father, that we would go and that we would see this town totally transformed by Jesus, not as an extra burden to us, but as we kill sin inside of ourselves. Father, help us. Father, as men in the congregation, we ask that you would help us to kill sin together. As women in the congregation this morning, help us to kill sin together. Father, that we would go on for you and that people will watch us and observe us and say, that's a child of the King in heaven and they will want to get to know you. Father, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.